0: One-week season. OWS fam, the nation, my dudes and dudettes, what is going on? It's Hilo here. Bringing you another episode of the Exploring Extremes podcast, where we take a look at some of the extremes uh, throughout the NFL to try and find some plus EV plays. Extremes being high game totals, low game totals. You know, is a game with a high game total not high enough? Is a game with a low game total not low enough? High spreads, low spreads, you name it. We are here to dissect things. Get a plus EV stance and throw in a little bit of uh, DFS stuff along the way as we go. Typically, I am joined by my co-host, Pavel. This week, his job is basically they are closing up their fiscal year on Friday. So he is busy, busy, busy. Tried to uh, see if we couldn't record this Wednesday morning um, because he stayed up late last night on Tuesday when we typically record Uh, Working, but he basically pulled an all nighter. So we are here covering for my dude. Let us take a look at all the games this week and see if we can't find some hidden gems. First of all, let's talk about this week overall macro perspective. We have eight games, that is massive. So there are seven on the main slate, there's one on Sunday night football. Um, these games with a spread or a game total in this mid range of spread. Historically, what is that? That's typically between 44 and 47 and a half points. These games are, we can classify them as wider range of outcome games. They are games that Vegas has set in this kind of nebulous range of 44 to 47 and a half. Historically, uh, games that fall under these, uh, between these two point totals have a wide range of outcomes with respect to trends. There isn't a an established trend, uh, home away, favorite, not favorite, all that good stuff. There are less trends with games in this range. So we have eight games that fall within this range. We have only three games that fall just above that, below but below the you know top end range of point game spread or game totals, and that's usually in that forty seven and a half to forty nine and a half. That is kind of a transitory uh, sp- or game total range, I would call it, um, in the sense that we can't one hundred percent classify these as pure shootouts. Uh, but they are still expected or they have the pieces to be um, offensive fireworks. Where do we get or which teams do we get? We got the uh, Monday night football game, New York Giants at Tampa Bay Buccaneers in that range, 49 and a half game total. We have the Arizona Cardinals at Seattle Seahawks um, afternoon game on the main slate, 49 and a half game total. We have the Cincinnati Bengals at the Las Vegas Raiders, 49 and a half game total on the main slate. And so I guess there were four of them. We also have the Green Bay Packers at Minnesota Vikings, game total of 49 and a half points. All of that, we have two games with a game total of 50 points or more this week. One is the morning game or the early game game of the Indianapolis Colts at Buffalo Bills. Uh, We'll talk about that one here shortly. And then we have kind of, I think, how everyone is seeing as the game of the week, the Dallas Cowboys at the Kansas City Chiefs. So there's, why did I go through that? Well, one, I wanted to kind of give a sense of the DFS slate coming up where, We don't have a ton of game environments where the public is going to flock to. There's basically just the one. Um, Obviously, there's going to be interest in Indianapolis Colts at Buffalo Bills, um, but not to the level of interest that we can expect to come from this Dallas and Kansas City game. So let's start there with the exploring extremes, shall we? I want to start with Dallas and Kansas City. By far the highest game total on the slate uh on the week for that matter. 55 and a half points. We also have a, a very low spread of only two and a half points. Woof. So obviously, this game should attract our attention. Uh, from two high-powered offenses. Um, one, obviously, the the Cowboys have fairly maintained their high poweredness throughout the rest or throughout the the entirety of the season i speak good english sorry uh trying to get this coffee in me get these juices flowing um kansas city obviously we know has struggled um with consistency you know they came out and put up a bunch of points in week 10 so that was good to see but this is a team who has very much struggled with consistency it has been partly from you know as much as i can tell what is going on with this team it is partly with uh due to injuries obviously they had ceh they had uh williams come in and step in as the lead running back and it's partly due with i think this mid season lull that is over a grueling season um, it's hard to to maintain that level of focus for 17 18 weeks now so We've seen this kind of midseason lull from Kansas City Chiefs, and your guess is as good as mine whether or not you know they've broken out of this kind of mini offensive slump, um, putting up a bunch of points last week. Um, but I would assume that the shock of this four to five week period where Kansas City Kansas City really struggled to maintain uh, consistency on the offensive side of the ball, and we know how how poorly this defense has played comparative to expectations coming into this season so they've had to come in and put up points to win games this isn't the Kansas City Chiefs team from you know two years ago where it was like yeah the Chiefs we can expect to score but their defense is not going to give up any points so what does that mean for us Uh, That year we were exploring, you know, Andy Reid's coaching tendencies. What are they going to do with a lead? This year, it's kind of just like all bets are off with this team, man. It's like it it just they are a team who is going to harbor positive game environments for us uh, for the rest of the season. So before we get into a little bit of the. First look kind of slash DFS talk with this game. I'll start off by saying I like the over at 55 and a half. It's going to depend greatly, in my opinion, on Kansas City's ability to come out here and score points. We know that Kansas City has struggled um, on the defensive side of the ball with deep passing. We know that Kansas City has struggled against the run. So we kind of get this game where the Cowboys should find sustained offensive success. Uh, You know, the Chiefs' run defense is ranked 29th in DVOA. Their pass defense is ranked 27th in DVOA. They've allowed 18th most yards per carry, um, and they've allowed the 23rd most. uh, I should say they've allowed the 18th worst yards per carry mark so that was kind of confusing the 23rd worst yards allowed per pass attempt cowboys offense their run offense is ranked 15th in dvoa fourth in yards per carry their pass offense is ranked fourth in dvoa and fourth in yards per pass so in my opinion you know with an early look at this game It is likelier that we're depending on Kansas City to actually score points with the inconsistency of their offense recently um, with respect to this game environment as a whole. So, when that is the case, when the road underdog is expected to kind of drive the game, uh, the game flow, but we're relying on the opposite team this time being the home favorite to drive our game environment overall because we expect cowboys to score points so we're relying on the kansas city chiefs to kind of match the cowboys here it creates a dynamic in a game environment where there's a little bit wider range of outcomes than we would like i think that is somewhat also baked into this game total at 55 and a half we've seen game totals as high as 58 and a half 59 and a half this season already i think if you know if the kansas city chiefs were not inconsistent recently on offense if they had been you know continuing to light up the league with patrick mahomes travis kelsey uh daryl williams or ceh if he didn't get hurt um if if this was a team that has shown some level of consistency on the offensive side of the ball, this game total would probably be another full three and a half, four points higher. So that kind of is why that represents to me a plus EV buying opportunity for the over at 55 and a half. Because I would guess, or from what I have seen, particularly over last week's game with this Kansas City Chiefs offense, is this is a team that basically hit the mid-season lulls. And that was with play-calling Andy Reid. That was with efficiency and just completing easy passes with Patrick Mahomes. That was with this weird like four or five-game stretch of Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes not being, or at least appearing to not be on the same page. That was with Tyreek Hill, Maintaining this high level of air yards per game leads the league over the last three weeks, but doing so on volume and short area routes. So this is a team that was not hitting their deep passing. This was a team that was struggling to maintain drives after you know the first seven weeks of the season being the top-ranked um, drive you know, offense and drive success rate, so the most efficient offense. So when that all comes together, I like the over. I think Vegas is being conservative in this line at 55 and a half. So I think there's solid expected value for us on the over here. All right. That was a lot. I wanted to dig into the highest game total game on the slate on the weekend, on the week. Uh, fairly in depth. Um, the next we're going to take a look at the Indianapolis Colts and the Buffalo Bills. We're going to take a similar approach, kind of break it down um fairly deeply if that is a phrase. Um and then we're going to wrap it up with um one last game that I want to cover. And it's really it's not really actually a game. It's a it's a look at these f- games in the 49 and a half Uh, or at the 49.5 game total range. So the Packers, the Vikings, the Bengals and the Raiders and the Cardinals and the Seahawks because these three games are going to be our games, I think, this week. Um, Obviously, I'm not through the edge. I'm not through my process. I'm not through writing. This is kind of like a prior to actually digging into the games podcast podcast where we're trying to cover early week-ish plus EV scenarios with respect to extremes. So these three games, I think, are going to represent or present us with the best opportunity for leverage on this slate this weekend. So I want to take a look and kind of try and see if we can figure out which of these games is likeliest to provide us the game environment that we would... wanting to attack here so before we do that we'll jump into the colts and the bills obviously we know the colts extremely pass funnel they have a you know top five run defense uh as far as the underlying metrics are concerned they have a bottom eight ish pass defense so against the bills Public perception on the Bills is that they are still this extremely pass-heavy offense. We also saw last week, and this is a large reason of why I stayed away from the Bills in DFS last week, is we saw that this, or I guess we were reminded of the fact that this offense is extremely spread out. Matt Breida, two touchdowns. Cool, cool, cool. We had... I believe it was two rushing touchdowns and three passing touchdowns from the Bills last week. So this is an offense that they have Emmanuel Sanders operating as their kind of queen chess piece uh, on this offense. He is playing the most offensive snaps on the team, and that is because they can move him all over the formation. We saw that in the preseason, and that was one of the reasons why I was so high on Emmanuel Sanders coming into the year. He is playing out wide. He is playing slot. He is playing trips. He is playing bunch formations. He is basically playing all the formations, all the wide receiver positions that this offense will run with respect to their alignments. We also have the number one on the offense Stefan Diggs, playing, you know, a tick below and every down roll typically between the 75 to 85% snap rate range. He is playing primarily on the perimeter. We also have Cole Beasley, who is playing almost exclusively from the slot. We also have Dawson Knox, who is now healthy again, played last week after missing a few games in the middle of the season. Typically seeing in the four to six target range uh, with respect to his expected range of outcomes as far as volume goes. We also have... The duo, the typical duo of running backs in Devin Singletary and Zach Moss, Matt Burita, stepped into an increased role last week. So we have this, like, offense who has all these offensive pieces. Oh, and not to mention, they have probably the, I keep calling them, like, the best wide receiver four in the game um, in Gabriel Davis. So all these pieces, all this, you know, All these areas of the field where they can attack. We look at the running back snap rate from last week. Devin Singletary in on 38% of the snaps. Zach Moss in on 48% of the snaps. Fullback Reggie Gilliam in on 38% of the snaps. Matt Breida scoring two touchdowns on eight snaps. uh, 14% snap rate. Last week was also... Only the second week of the season where Stephon Diggs outsnapped Emmanuel Sanders. That's kind of interesting, right? We have Stefan Diggs, who played 79% of the offensive snaps. Emmanuel Sanders played 60% last week. And Gabriel Davis saw some increased run at 52%. Isaiah McKenzie also scored a touchdown last week, was in on 22%. And that was partly... Um, due to the fact that Cole Beasley only played nine offensive snaps, or 16%. Dawson Knox returned to his, you know, a tick below every down snap rate role, playing 84% of the offensive snaps after missing the previous two weeks plus thereby. Finally, Tommy Sweeney also is in, or a, a contributing factor to this offense, typically playing as a like change of pace role for a tight end as well as a blocking specialist he played 34 percent of the offensive snaps last week so this is an offense who is highly adaptable to its opponent highly adaptable to game environments or game flows and highly adaptable based on the tendencies of their offensive coordinator and brian dabble so what does that mean for us well we can expect You know, I also talked about last week, sorry, before we get into that, about how this offense is just a tick above uh, the league average in situation neutral pass rates this year. A far cry from last year, where they were, you know, top three for most of the season and ended as the pass heaviest offense. So, again, what does that mean? Well, the public perception on this team is that they are still just a gunslinging offense. Well, with their top ranked defense, and all these players that they have, uh, the depth that they have on the offensive side, um, they are no longer this team that is just going to always come out and try and you know put up 50 points to outscore their opponent. They don't need to be. Their defense is too good. They have too many offensive pieces to where they can sustain drives and methodically put up points. That said, they are still a team who tacks heavily downfield. So looking for those splash plays primarily through Emmanuel Sanders and Stefan Diggs. They're still a team who has a high offensive success rate. You know they have a security blanket in Cole Beasley and Dawson Knox, uh, who are highly capable over the intermediate areas of the field. Gabriel Davis and Isaiah McKenzie are basically these players who can step into any of the roles that um, are in, a, in ahead of them on this offense. Gabriel Davis is capable of playing on the perimeter. He's capable of playing out of the slot. Isaiah McKenzie as well. Typically, Isaiah McKenzie is running routes on the extreme. So he's running either deep stuff and he's running uh, very short stuff, getting the ball in his hands because he is um, a very good playmaker with the ball in his hands. You know, he is the kick returner for this offense. Typically, he is a highly dynamic uh, player with the ball in his hands. All right. With all of that understood... The matchup this week against a Colts team who is extremely pass funnel on defense uh, presents a nice little opportunity for this passing offense. The volume for Josh Allen is likely going to depend on what the Colts can do on the scoreboard and pushing this offense to remain rather aggressive. All right. That said, I want to look at. You know, what is the opportunity for the Colts to continue to press pressure um, the Bills into continued aggression here? Sorry, stay bear with me running this uh, by yourself, trying to get through all these tabs. And I don't have a break to do so in talking uh, when Pavel is going. So we look at the Bills defense. Number one in scoring defense, they've allowed the fewest points per game in the NFL, their third in DVOA against the run, their first in DVOA against the pass, allowing the third fewest yards per carry to the opposition, allowing the second fewest yards per pass attempt. How are the Colts going to look to attack this game? Well, they are highly capable. Well, they I should first say they build the offense around the run. They fold in play action. They fold in this uh, short to intermediate passing game with Zach Pascal and T.Y. Hilton. And then their wide receiver one this season, um, operating out of a kind of prototypical X wide receiver role. So a more possession style role. He does work in downfield stuff, um, uh, but that is through... Uh, sorry, Michael Pittman, who is operating as you know the, the player on the field the most. Typically what we're seeing out of this offense is Michael Pittman out of the X role, Zach Pascal out of this weird kind of Demi-Z, Demi-Y role. So playing snaps out of the slot, playing snaps um, lined up with uh, out of motion. Now we have a, or I guess I should say we finally have a healthy T.Y. Hilton Has only played three games this season, the middle of which, so the game in week eight, he picked up a concussion midway through. So he's typically what we've seen. His first game back, he played 50% of the offensive snaps in week six. That was after missing the first five weeks of the season. Got uh, picked up an aggravation of that injury um, in that game. So only played 50% of the offensive snaps, missed week seven, Came back for a week eight contest where he picked up the concussion, only played 44% of the offensive snaps there, then missed week nine as he worked his way through the concussion protocol. So, what did he do in week 10, which we can regard as his healthiest game of the season? He played 61% of the offensive snaps, and we continue to see Michael Pittman and Zach Pascal operate as the starting two quote-unquote, starting two wide receivers. So these are the two guys who are playing um, in 12 personnel, 21 personnel, which this team doesn't run very much 21 personnel, but they do run um, above average rate of 12 personnel, two tight ends on the field. So I would expect what we saw in week 10 to be kind of the norm for this offense with respect to their 11 personnel rates. T.Y. Hilton's snap rates probably going to be in the 60 to 65% snap rate moving forward. We know this offense is built around their stud running back in Jonathan Taylor, who started off the year with five games in a row of 55% of the offensive snaps or less. Since week six, however, he's seen snap rates of 65%, 69%, 74%, 69%, and 84%. So this is clearly how this offense um, has chosen to basically anchor their offense, is around Jonathan Taylor as the season has progressed. Naheem Hines is highly reliant on game flow for his both his offensive snaps and his production. And then finally, we have Marlon Mack, who is typically the third running back who is active on game day. Um, but has seen 6%, 1%, 0%, and 0% of the offensive snaps over the previous four weeks. So this is very much a 1-2 backfield now. Jonathan Taylor leading the way, Naheem Hines, highly reliant on game flow, highly reliant on um, two-minute drill offense opportunities, so highly reliant on some things to go his way for as far as snap rate goes what can we expect out of this running back core for a game against the number one defense in the league? Well, I'd expect Naheem Hines to see his snap rate jump up a little bit here and probably rival what we saw earlier in the season. He has one game over the last six weeks that checked in at 45% snap rate or higher. So I would expect it's highly likely that we see Naheem Hines' snap rate grow a little bit and him become a higher part of the offense that is both good and bad because when we look at this bill's defense they really don't struggle in any one area of the field it is a top to bottom on paper and through the metrics top defense in the league they have surrendered the fourth fewest um, or i guess they have faced the fourth fewest passing uh or targets to backfields this season so, and they have um really been good at cracking down and tackling after uh the reception against running backs so linebackers core linebacker core is um very good they're very good in coverage of both tight ends and running backs out of the backfield. And we know that they are very good on the perimeter and over the deep intermediate um, areas of the field. So there's really no clear or glaring area for this Colts offense to see additional volume trickle to this week. So I'd expect the Colts to somewhat struggle early in the game. I'd expect Jonathan Taylor to start the game as kind of the main cog of this offense. We have Michael Pittman, who has difficult matchup on the perimeter. We have Zach Pascal, who's got a difficult matchup on the perimeter. We have T.Y. Hilton, who probably has the best pure matchup in uh, from this team, but he is seeing you know this kind of third wide receiver role where we should expect 60 to 65% of the offensive snaps. We also know that this offense is going to operate fairly heavily out of 12 personnel, with Jack Doyle, Mo Alley-Cox, and even Kyle Granson getting in on the action as well. So overall, I'd expect the Bills to control this game from a flow perspective and from a game environment perspective as well. They're likeliest to do so with their defense and through the air, Um, the passing game when they have the ball in their hands. That said, we've talked about how um, spread out their pass offense is. So while we expect them to have success, we also expect that success to be rather spread out. All right, so all of that comes together to me um, to lead to a case where I think this game total of 50 points is set Well, so I think that Vegas has done a good job of setting this game total this week because it's accounting for the bills kind of controlling the game flow and the game environment. We have a high game total, 50 points, and a large spread of the bills minus seven. So all that comes together to tell me that Vegas also realizes that this game has a wider range of outcomes that almost entirely depends on the Colt's ability to put up points here. When that is the case, it kind of presents a stay away for me personally um, with respect to both the spread and the game total. I would be much more likely to try and pick and choose onesie twosie uh, of props from this game that I would be to wager on either the spread or the game total. The money line, on the bills feels rather safe to me this week um, on bet MGM that the juice is set at minus 300 for the bills so this would be a team where I would be looking to possibly include in a parlay you know 3 to 17 parlay depending on what your goals are this week that is those are the two games with the highest game totals uh, on the week I promised I want to talk about real quick about these uh, game totals in the nebulous range, you know, the 47 and to 49 and a Not a tweener, but not a highest game total on the week type games. Got Cincinnati Bengals at the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders are basically a team in shambles. We know that, you know, all of the off the field issues and distractions that this team has had um, throughout the season has really hampered this team. Um, You know, they're playing games with an interim head coach. They're playing games without their wide receiver one. They've had injuries that they've had to contend with. Both their starting running back in Josh Jacobs and their starting tight end. So all all this working against the Raiders... That said, they're squarely still in the hunt this season. You know, they got beat by the Chiefs this past week, but they are still fighting for, you know, the top spot out of um, their division. So quick wave tops. How do we expect or what do we expect from this game? It's got that moderate game total of 49 and a half with a close spread. So Vegas is hinting at the fact that we're likely to see a closely contested game here. I would contend that the Bengals coming in on the road are likeliest to control both the game environment and the game flow, and they're instilled at only one point's uh, favorites. So the expected value to me from a betting perspective is on the visiting Bengals here, and I would be comfortable taking um, them with the spread, you know, laying just a point, because I think as the week uh, progresses here, we're likeliest to see the line move in the favor of the Bengals. So, what does that mean? Additional points on the spread. If they add the hook, it becomes a little bit less appealing, and additional juice uh, with respect to them on the money line. Wave tops for that game. Second game we'll talk about is the Arizona Cardinals at the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks um, obviously are coming off of a game in which they scored zero points. In my opinion, watching the replay of that game, the condensed version, I think that uh, that was highly due to Russell Wilson and his health. So with that finger injury, I think he was having problems hitting his mark. He was having problems with timing and he was having problems trusting his uh, his abilities through the air. We have a Cardinals team who Kyler Murray is looking to work his way back to health Um, Deandre Hopkins is looking to work his way back to health. Both of those players missed two games in a row. The game spread is set at two and a half. It opened at Cardinals minus two and a half as well. And this is one where I highlighted the expected value is likely on the side of the visiting Cardinals here because we have these unknowns with respect to their wide receiver one and their quarterback. I'm recording this Wednesday morning, so we are about to get our first glimpse at the injury report with respect to those two players in particular. And it is this weird scenario where I think we're gonna see this game line uh, or this game spread shift in the favor of the Cardinals. Should we get some news with respect to Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins here? We also know that they're you know, part of their running back duo is going to likely be out again this week um, in Chase Edmonds, giving James Conner uh, kind of this workhorse, semi-demi, whatever you want to call it, workhorse role for this week as well. And that should maintain that role for as long as Chase Edmonds is out. We look at you know Benjamin, who kind of operated as the change of pace back for this team last week, um, over the last two weeks, played 24% and 27% of the offensive snaps for this team. And that was with Chase Edmonds in week nine, suffering his injury after his first touch. So, what I was looking for out of this offense, and if you've been reading the Wired to Waivers piece, I highlighted Eno Benjamin as a possible ad, um, a possible upside ad for as long as Chase Edmonds is out. What that was doing is it was trying to stay ahead of the field and pick up a running back where we didn't know what his snap rates were going to be moving forward without Chase Edmonds. Well, what did it do? It maintained relatively stable, and James Conner operated as pretty much a workhorse back. After playing 77% of the offensive snaps in Week 9, he parlayed that into 82% of the offensive snaps in Week 10. So what does that mean for us? James Conner should be regarded as one of the better, I won't say, I don't want to put uh, take this to too much of an extreme, but one of the workhorse running back roles on the slate in a positive matchup against a Seattle defense um, who has largely struggled um, against the run this season. They are 11th in DVOA against the run, but allow the 26th uh, worst yards per carry their pass defense has kind of been the same and this is a, a defense who Pete Carroll has largely been trying to simply hide the season they started the season out with um, elevated pass rates for you know compared to their historic norms under Pete Carroll they started over their first two games of the season trying to push the pace of play and Pete Carroll quickly put an end to that as he realized that the the only way that he basically knows how to kind of hide this defense is through a slow pace of play and trying to keep the ball away from his opponents deep into the fourth quarter so that is how we can expect the Seahawks to approach this game the Cardinals ability to pull away and force the Seahawks into increased aggression probably revolves around the health of Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins here you know, we have a this game total that's going back and forth between 49 points and 49 and a half points with a low spread so from a betting perspective i like the cardinals early here taking uh, or laying the points the juice on the money line for the cardinals is also only at minus 140 so both of these um taking either the spread or the money line on the cardinals as away favorites is where the expected value lies um, early this week without knowing more with respect to the health of Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. All right, wave tops, wave tops. The last game in this kind of middle range of game totals is the Green Bay Packers visiting the Minnesota Vikings, another game with a 49.5 game total and a relatively um, low spread. Packers. The visiting Packers are instilled as two and a half point favorites. And like the Cardinals, I think the early week value is on the visiting Packers here. Um, We have a low game spread, two and a half points, and low juice on the money line at minus 135. Those are highly likely to be held down by the fact that Aaron Jones is likely to be out this week. But what we saw last week is A.J. Dillon is highly capable and I would regard him as probably a top three to five backup running back in the league. We also have seen throughout this season that A.J. Dillon is more capable through the air than I think the field was probably giving him credit for coming into this season. You know, he was drafted in this ninth to eleventh round range. Um, as one of the first backup running backs off the board, but the field has been slow to accept the fact that like, or I guess, um, yeah, I guess we can describe it as accept the fact that he is this top, you know, backup running back in the league. He was being drafted as such in best ball, but he's not really being viewed as such, um, through the DFS field. So, you know, AJ Dillon is a price uh, mid-range running back tier for pricing this week at uh, I believe 61 or 6200. Um, kind of around where James Conner is priced as well. Um, and both of these guys, and both James Conner and AJ Dillon should be workhorses for their team on uh, in games where they are favorites. Um, also, the matchup for James Conner we talked about is extremely positive for uh, or against the Seahawks. The matchup for A.J. Dillon, extremely positive against the Vikings. So this is a, a situation where both these road teams should control the the flow and the game environment of their respective games. Uh, so the running backs who we can expect to you know, fulfill workhorse roles for each of these teams, highly, highly appealing to me uh, from a DFS perspective. That is from a first look perspective, that is without digging into the um, underlying metrics of the game, you know, the deeper level stuff that we typically uncover when we do the edge write-ups. This podcast is going a lot longer than I intended, so we'll sum it up with I think the expected value is on the Packers, either with the money line or with the spread of two and a half points. That is all we're going to cover this week. Um, We're not going to do a full six games like we normally do on this podcast, but I wanted to cover kind of the state of the slate and the state of all the games this week from a betting perspective from a kind of macro state of the slate perspective, and from you know fold in a little bit of DFS stuff from an early look perspective as well. We should expect uh, Pavel to join us again next week. Should be through his close of fiscal year for his day job, uh, so expect to hear him back on in the space next week and moving forward. Without uh, dragging this on too much longer. Thanks for hanging out with me. Um, thanks for coming to this space uh, for the um, basically the 11 weeks that we've had this run in. Um, and I will see you guys next week.